Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You have an ego, even as a young kid, like, you know, so masking it and hiding it. I can't be sensitive. I need to be hard. You know, I can't cry. I can't show any weakness anywhere. Kids that are like seven or eight years old, older than me, will beat me to a pulp if I do. You know, so I learned all of these. They're all learned behaviors, like, you know, and inside I'm screaming, like, I don't want to be like this. Like, I want to put, put my hand up and say, like, I'm struggling or say that I'm not actually this, this kid that you're seeing. But of course, you can't do that. And there's nothing about me that would allow me to do that. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey beautiful souls, two of the biggest struggles for everyone that I've spoken with on this podcast is finding self-love and self-worth. For many of us, and I'm definitely putting my hand up here, self-love and self-worth were things that I never, ever even thought about. If you loved yourself when I was growing up, you were just a stuck-up brat. But real self-love, real self-worth, these are the keys to a better world. It's the key to a better world. And if you're sitting there thinking, what is she on about? Think about it this way. If your mum was so secure in her own self-worth, if she understood that she had needs, that she needed to look after her mental health, that she had choices and she would make choices for her own good, if she was strong within herself and she was always real and authentic and wasn't afraid to speak up because she knew the value of herself, if she put so much love into herself in a beautiful, kind and positive way that that love spilled out and over into everything else she did. And then imagine if your dad was just like that too. What would be the chances that you'll be brought up in a loving and caring environment with emotional intelligence, understanding, self-love, self-worth, and then you go ahead and you meet someone who also got self-worth because his parents brought him up that way. And you have babies and they're brought up in the same way. There's no youth suicide in this scenario. There's no alcoholism, drug addiction, mental health issues, and a never-ending list of all the stuff that comes from being taught to hate ourselves. We would have been taught to love ourselves, and that will change 
everything that happens down the track. And this week I'm chatting with Jonathan. Jonathan grew up feeling like he had to meet a lot of expectations. And as a sensitive kid, those expectations were overwhelming. But he didn't know about valuing his feelings. He didn't know about putting his hand up and saying, help me. Those things weren't modelled anywhere. And so he put on a mask and he became what everyone expected him to be. He began showing up as an actor in his own life. And when you're holding that much stuff inside and you just aren't coping, what do you do? In Jonathan's case, you turn to alcohol. At 12, he had his first drink. This is a story of a beautiful soul who continued to present to the world as strong and capable whilst spiralling down into alcoholism because he could never say help. He could never say, I'm not this kid that you're seeing because he never knew that what he wanted, what he needed was important. After many years of trying to turn his life around, Jonathan is now able to share with us what it was like to be that little kid. He knows that the only way to be in this world now is as himself, his real self. And that's a journey towards self-love and self-worth. Jonathan is just celebrating three years of sobriety and he is changing his life and he is influencing positively the lives of others on his journey. Please join me in hearing Jonathan's story. Jonathan, what kind of a kid do you think the outside world saw when they when they looked at you as a little kid? What, what would they have seen? Done a bit of work on this. Um, they would have seen somebody quite confident, somebody quite extra, probably, you know, um, very happy, um, very driven, even as a really small child, because I played obviously a lot of sport, and, uh, you know, always was talented. So, you know, all sports came quite easy to me, but I, I worked really hard at them as well, especially certainly football. So they would have seen this, um, I presume they would have seen this, you know, um, happy kid, like doing what he loved as a small child. Um, most definitely, they would have seen somebody probably quite independent, you know, quite happy to go. You know, I, I, I quite often would have been out as a young child on, you know, sort of out on my own. And um, I would have, you know, practiced my football and stuff like that, but I would have been out and about, you know. So um, probably the sort of kid that now, nowadays, that everybody would look at and go, Jesus, he shouldn't be out on his own. All this t- all the time, like, you know. But I suppose it was it was it was okay back way back then. But um, now, looking back, um, yeah, I would have done a lot of stuff. You know, I would have taken myself to school and back back home again and stuff like that. But you know, at a very young age, like you know, infant school even. So yeah, I presume that's what people would have seen. Obviously, hindsight now, looking back, you know, there was a that's probably where a lot of a lot of problems started, I suppose, you know. Would have done a lot of stuff. I'm with my older brother. I'm, I'm the youngest of four by a long way. So they would have they're all sort of ten years brothers, I think seven or eight years older than me, and then the, my two sisters are even older than that. So yeah, so like, you know, I would have travelled and tagged on with him quite a bit as well. So I would have been involved and in playing with kids a lot older than myself at a very, very early age, very young age. And, um, yeah, looking back, I now realise that I had a lot of stuff, even back way back then, like, going on inside. Like, um, I didn't feel quite very, you know, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, like, even even as a young kid, like, you know. But I, I hid it with... I was good at sport, so I was always accepted um, and never really had... Um, never really thought too much about about stuff, but I was very, you know, I was, yeah, I was outwardly look extrovert. I suppose I've done a little bit of work on this as well. Like, you know, even now as as an adult, I was running around as a, still as a small child, like an outwardly extrovert, and but but actually quite introvert in, within myself, you know. So, and I think I've been that always. 
um, even as a, a young kid, I think I was like that. I learned very quickly to um, point one, I come off a, a council estate. I learned very quickly how to look after myself. I learned very quickly how to mask anything. I learned very quickly how to judge people and understand what they were all, all about, to try and fit in, to try and make sure that, you know, I was accepted. Um, I was quite needy, I think. Um, I, I wanted to be liked, obsessively wanted to be liked. Um, I, um, I had a fear of, I think I had a, a massive fear of not being liked, a fear of rejection. So yeah, and I learned very quickly, I think as a young kid, um, to, um, that I didn't feel very comfortable in myself, but I was always trying to be something else, be someone else, be whatever anybody wanted me to be at any given time. And that becomes a habit. <laughs> yeah, so I guess by the time, you know, it's like any parent, by the time you get to the fourth child, they're probably not paying as much attention as they are with the first. You do get more brought up by the other kids, don't you? So what was your relationship like with your mum when you were a little kid? Did you feel like you got the love from your mum or were you quite distant from her? Yeah, I think looking back, I mean, again, it's like it's all sort of stuff that I've looked at over the years and you know like I you know looking back now I could see that there was I always craved attention and I could never understand why and I think it was be, I think it was that you know I feared these conversations a while back you know probably going back about 18 months ago because I was, I was I was very fearful that people were gonna you know family and stuff like you know I could, could do these conversations in private talking about my childhood and what have you but I struggled to do it you know because obviously fear of like somebody was going to get the hunt with me or you know they were going to see it as a as I was blaming people for you know how I felt or whatever and there's no blame there like you know um it is what it is and I've stopped doing that now because I understand a little bit better about what actually happened and there was a, a in my, in my, you know for me um there was a craving there for, for attention because I didn't get it for whatever reason I don't really know I knew that I was always trying to work my mum out I was always trying to work out where she was and what you know what mood she was in and you know like and I, and I now realize that you know there was a lot of things going on you know um again like you know and so I worked out very quickly very astute as a kid like uh, working out what people and I think that stems from my relationship with my mum trying to work out where her mood was at, trying to work out where I fitted in, trying to work out when I was going to get and when I wasn't, when I needed to move away and when I could step in. But that created a lot of fear, you know, it created a lot of tension for me, like it created like a, a lot of confusion, you know, very confused. And I could never work out relationships. You know, I said to somebody not so long back, you know, I'm a good communicator. I make friends really quickly, really easily. I struggle with the connection I struggle to hold um any relationships and I think it all stems back to possibly those relationships I had as a kid again no blame you know I don't know I've I'm past all of that like you know past any resentment any blame or anything I just realized what happened um I, I realized that I think I was running around as well for a, a long period of time. Now, I did have trauma in my life, especially as a youngster. You know, my mum did physically and chastise and stuff. Like, you know, and there was some parts of that that was quite, you know, big traumas. Like, you know, and I can look back now and still remember it vividly. But I think that, especially when I was in rehab and that, and I was trying to look for, like, these big traumas in your life, like, you know, and I've had plenty. But what I realised was is that, it, it didn't necessarily need to be the big trauma. It didn't necessarily need to be, you know, that big event. There was a lot of things that were triggering me. There was a lot of stuff that was, you know, like sort of that traumatised me as a child, like, you know, and, and, and it all stemmed around, um, you know, those connections that I didn't understand. Very sensitive you, as a kid. I was just going to say, I think sometimes we're just quite sensitive humans, right, and stuff that affects us doesn't even get onto the radar of another person so Correct. yeah if you're that kind of sensitive kid and you're you're really sort of absorbing so much of all these things and and probably nobody would even 
realize or think about that so that's yeah. a really that's a really important point point. and what about your relationship with your dad growing up what was that like relationships were good my dad's quiet quiet man you know a few problems and stuff and but on the whole um i live with my dad now um and i see a lot of the stuff that i didn't see then but i see now you know the anxiety and all, all, all the stuff that that he he has and i'm not it's not hereditary you know i don't believe that for one minute um but i think you feed off it as a kid you know but we had a good relationship you know obviously i was um heavily into football and obviously that progressed quite quickly so i won some competitions and all sorts of stuff and then obviously went into elite sport for as a youngster and he went everywhere with me right you know and we have a good relationship but obviously i now can see that there was a lot of there's a lot of stuff there, like you know, um, hang ups, like you know, a lot of insecurity. Yes, um, and I think I fed off that quite a bit. But I think for me, it's really strange. Like it, it's lovely to talk about it, and I do it a lot. And I think, you know, um, the more I do, obviously, the more people to make people aware, really, of that. You know, you don't necessarily need these big traumas in your life. Like you know, it is okay to have all sorts when we touched on sensitivity like you know and uh, how sensitive I was as a kid um you know and I, I always thought that I needed to hide that because it's not you know my ego wouldn't allow it and I, I learned that very quickly I had an ego even as a young kid like you know so masking it and hiding it I can't be sensitive I need to be hard you know I can't cry um I can't show any weakness anywhere kids that are like seven or eight years old older than me will beat me to a pulp if I do you know so I learned all of these they're all learned behaviors like you know and inside I'm screaming like I don't want to be like this like I want to put, put my hand up and say like I'm struggling or say say that you know I'm not actually this this kid that you're seeing but of course you can't do that you know you nothing will and there's nothing about me that would allow me to do that now I see it as a strength you know um massive strength you know and the more we can channel that into younger people the, the better like you know but it is a strength um, yeah do you think that's a part of being a man though in the world as young girls often feel like they can probably show their emotions a lot more and that's much more acceptable but for men it's been very much traditionally that you keep those emotions buried and you're not you not to show them because it is a weakness yeah, yeah without a doubt like i said i mean touching base with with that as a kid i, I came off a of council estate i'm not saying it was a bad one it was, it was good like it was good fun at times like you know lots of kids running around but you couldn't show a weakness you know if you show showed a week you know like you've got like 20 30 kids at any given time always out and about um and there's a packing order and you need to be on it as a sports person you know from a very young age I knew that I needed to be picked. I knew that I needed to push myself and be at the front of the queue if I was going to get anywhere. So I had to do everything. And every time I did all this stuff, it went against the actual, just because you've got talent, you know, like it goes against the grain of what's inside. Whereas like now I realise that it didn't need to, it didn't need to happen. It didn't need to be like that. I could have progressed without doing that but at the time I thought that's what you needed to do you know a sports environment like that you know kids can be it's unbelievably cutthroat even at a very very young age you know 10 11 12 years old you know you, you sink or swim all the time every week week in week out like you know and I learned that very quickly you know but slowly but surely it was dragging me like I, I literally got to 18 19 20 and I'd had enough like you know because I knew I couldn't do it. People say to me now, like, oh, you must be gutted, you know, because like you were so talented. And and I and I sent now because and again it's hard. Like there's so many things that I struggle to admit. But I think realistically, like now admitting that I probably wouldn't have survived it because I was too sen I was so sensitive and I was mm. so I listened, I had I hung on everybody's word. Now I would coach kids like, you know, don't listen. Don't listen to everyone. And you are you. But as a me growing up I hung on everybody's word and I was constantly looking positive all the time and if I got a negative it destroyed me and there's you know? so much pressure even just you look at these little kids who are six and seven and they're rubbish anyway they're just playing for fun and you've got parents on the sideline just 
going off and carrying on and there's so much pressure around sport. You know, when it's sport, it's like it, the, the parents get so full on about it. So I can imagine at an elite level when you're just surrounded by that environment, it must just be really, really yeah. difficult. Yeah. Surrounded by kids, vying boy, boy, for like attention, vying for like top spot and more importantly, surrounded by adults. Yeah. Top spots, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about by the time you're 13, how do you feel about yourself and what's happening when you're 13 years old? 13, um, I was literally just, I was making my way. By that point, I probably, yeah, 13 for me was a big, big year because 13 and 14, I, I sort of made it to that next step, I suppose. So whereby there was pretty much nearly every football club around was like vying for my signature so like I was literally I felt good but it was a really strange feeling because like I felt good because I was playing football and I enjoyed playing football but I didn't feel good and I didn't feel comfortable but I didn't understand why like one minute I could consistency was really difficult for me in anything I started I mean I suppose I need to point out the fact that people had accepted that I was good sports and everything else went by the wayside education my behavior was really poor i was constantly in trouble but i was sort of playing this jekyll and hyde everybody be like yeah but it's john he's okay like you know and he's you know we love him because you know he's getting on he's doing really well you know and then so then that fed into like being able to get away with a little bit but it was just mixed up feelings it was really insecure mixed up feelings i just didn't understand like um and my behaviour was very poor. I didn't do well at school and, and I played up a lot. And I hid that then. I was hiding everything. I was always hiding stuff. You know, I took my first drink out of a cabinet around about that time, probably a little bit before 12, something like that. And um, and then I spent the whole of my early teens right up saying that I was a, I didn't drink because I was a sports person. So I was even hiding drink right from a very, very early age, but I was hiding everything else, you see. I was hiding everything. I was hiding all my emotions, all my feelings. I walk into a, as soon as I was out on the pitch, I was okay for a time. But anything other than that, I wasn't comfortable. Um, don't think, looking back, yeah. you know. What was it that made you go and get a drink at 12? I was surrounded by a lot of drink anyway, with within the family. Mm -hmm. Um, it was the done thing and parties and all of that, you know, all the time as a young, real young kid. I knew where the drink was. I knew what it did to people. You know, I was constantly aware of like, you know, that drunken behaviour and, and, and all of that. But a lot of it seemed people were having fun. Um, but I also was aware of the fact that I wasn't supposed to do it because I, I, I play sport. And um, so I think all of those emotions were going on in me. I need something because I don't like the way I feel. And I could see that what it did to other people, obviously having older, a lot older siblings as well at that point where they were all drinking and that as well. So it was all, you know, sort of it fed into, it was quite blatantly obvious the way I felt inside and what, what I was surrounded by that that was going to happen. And of course it did, you know, it made me feel better. Um, it made me feel different. Um, gave me a little bit, you know, that those first initial ones, you know, sort of gave me a little bit of, wow, you know, this is all right. You know, it gives me a bit of confidence. Again, people listening to this and they can judge for themselves. It doesn't really matter to me anymore. Like, but they would say, well, you didn't need any. You were so confident. You were so confident as a child, like, you know, but it was inside, like inside I was screaming. I know somebody's mentioned it to me. I did a workshop not so long back and, they, and I was so pleased. It was almost like so when somebody told me in terms of my drinking and that, you know, you can just do this a day at a time. And I was thought, thank God for that, like, you know, but like the same thing with the introvert and extrovert, because like I was extrovert externally and internally, and I related to everything. When people talked about being introvert as a person, I related to every single bit of it, but I couldn't work out why I, on outwardly, I was so extrovert, you know, because I related to everything that was introvert, you know. So when somebody said to me, there's a word for that, like, you know, and it's, you know, you're, you're, I can't even remember what the word is now, but I was over the moon. Like, so I thought, God, now I understand, like, you know, yeah. but it's, it was all a mask. You know? I still play now. You know, I play a role, I go coaching and I'm very vocal. 
communicate and um, you know I'm constantly talking to whoever I'm coaching especially the youngsters and that and um, and I love all of that and that's perceived as being very extrovert but on the other hand then I love to be on my own and I love to do things on my own and you know I'm quite happy and if you said to me like go down the road and there's a group of people and they want to talk to you but I don't you know don't really know what they want to talk about I would be filled with fear but if you said to me there's a group of people down there that want to talk about what, we, what you're doing and your job and all of these things you know I'd be there like you know or, or a podcast or whatever so it's a very funny but now looking back I realize that it's all all to do with with this stuff as a kid it's yeah. all to do with what happened as a child and all of those emotions that were buried and I felt like I had to be this extrovert that's what was expected of me and I became very good at it you become a great actor don't you because you're basically putting on a persona and you are this other person but I feel like as a kid, if somebody had have recognised some of those flags and would have sat you down at some point and started a conversation with exactly what was really going on, I wonder if the whole path of your life could have changed. And I think that's what so many kids, that's, that's the issue for so many kids is that nobody actually has ask them what's going on because probably their parents never spoke to anybody about what went on with them and their parents because it's not part of anything in the generations before that have ever taught anybody to actually do that it's it's yeah. just really communicating it's that's all it is and and if you come from a family where that's n- not happened in the past then kids just do spiral out of control don't they yeah without a shadow of a doubt that shadow of a doubt I think like for me now I realize now that I hear some people some ex-colleagues and friends that talk about from an early age having like you know having those people having those mentors even back way back then you know some lads that um that I'm still quite friendly with now that had successful sporting careers and then they talk about like mentors, older guys that they have that they could really talk to and stuff like, you know, and for some reason I never found mine. Um, I think that's partly, you know, partly because I was never an open, but I was never open to it. I was never, I would have been horrified if somebody said to me, like, you know, sit down and, you know, so I don't think it was ever going to happen. Yeah. A lot more open to, to that. Um, I think if somebody had said those things to me, you know, I don't know because we're only talking about hypothetically, but I think I was very close to it because I was so guarded. Yeah. This persona that I've got, I need to keep, even when I knew and I could see it going terribly wrong, you know, awfully wrong, I still needed to keep hold of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, definitely now kids, definitely. I mean, I say that all the time to younger kids that I'm talking to about certainly when they come to me about football and stuff like you know get older somebody where you can really be honest and upfront need a lot of trust there there's got to be an awful lot of trust yeah so at 12 13 you you had your first drink and so what happened from there in terms of drinking hidden um it would be very um it would be occasional I'd go for long periods where I wouldn't I was, it was, it was for some reason even when I wasn't drinking a lot as a younger adult um it was always there like you know that is my little outlet if you like you know but I resisted went to probably about 16 um but I had my first knock back where somebody you know like where a, a football club had um said that they were going to take me on and then released me um and then I started to drink um and all the way through then then I got another contract with another football club um and did quite well and but constantly drinking though um you know from 16 to 18 and then from 18 to 20 you know constantly um drinking and then literally I used to say I said to somebody in rehab and they there was a young lad there and he related to me he plays like Irish football and I said I used to train like a dog to um, compensate for the drink and the and the late nights and stuff. And he said, 
well, that's exactly that's me, you know. And I said, you know, but I was lucky. I was so physically fit that yeah, I overtrained and overtrained, and then overdid everything else as well. There was no middle ground for me either, you know. Um, it was um, it was all or nothing, you know. So unfortunately, I could drink huge amounts, and that's always been the case when my drinking got really serious like people were amazed at the amount i um yeah so that was from very early on um so i still had a professional career working and training like a dog feeling really really poor inside obviously i didn't understand it but really not good inside at all very insecure um hung on everybody's words like i said like you know if somebody gave me a bit of criticism i couldn't handle it um, and drinking was off the Richter scale, even at an early age, like even at a young age, 17, um, you know, like a lot of drinking. And then there's all that hiding as well, because like I learned to do that at an early age. So saying that I'd had less than I had, always taking an extra drink on top of what anybody else was taking when we were out, always going to the bar, I was always skinned because I'd always go to the bar. reason why I was always going, John, everybody thought that John was a great bloke because like he'd buy the drinks. It wasn't because of that. It was because I needed another one and I didn't want them to know that, you know? Yeah. So that continued on for how long, the drinking? All of my life, all of, all of my adult, all of my adult life. I went in and dipped in and out because I was a good trainer um you know and i worked hard at sport and stuff when i come out of professional sport and went into semi-professional so you know amateur but still played for a long time so obviously at, there was a point where i was at 25 where i settled down a little bit and got you know got into a relationship and had children and i kidded myself i think i kidded myself you know sometimes the drinking would slow up a little bit and i get myself super fit um you know and do really well at life not just at sport, um, or so I thought, um, but it never last, never last, you know, it spiral out of control again. And um, I got away with it. I got away with it a lot because of this persona that I had. So I got away with an awful lot, you know, um, but I didn't because it was damaging me internally, not internally as in my organs and stuff, but emotionally, and and physically it was draining me i was working even harder to try and cope with it i was working even harder then to try and cover stuff up i was working even harder to cover my emotions and my feelings and everything up i had a massive problem with i didn't understand why i didn't connect i couldn't understand why i watched everybody around me with all this like talking about how much they loved people how how their relationship seemed like glue, if you like, you know, like seemed like so unbelievably good and strong. And I kept thinking to myself, I don't feel like that. And it wasn't just with a partner or a wife or whatever, it was with everything. Like, you know, I felt totally detached from my family. You know, like, I, I, you know, at one point I thought, Jesus Christ, like, how come I don't, I don't love or, or care for anyone, you know? And then it fed into me telling everybody that I was no good. Like, you know, so obviously that all that stuff started, you know, where I don't be around me because I ain't no good. Like, you know, because obviously I was so confused. Like I was confused about all these connections that I just couldn't make and everybody else could. Or so I thought, does the drink play a part in that? Of course it does. Absolutely. And the drugs. Um, but does you as a person internally, because of what you've hidden and what you've buried and what you've, you know, all your feelings and emotions, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Like, you know, who's going to feel all those connections if you, you know, you're sort of running away and not feeling any connection to yourself? Like, I have no idea who I was or what I was. No idea whatsoever, you know? Somebody said to me in rehab, like, you know, like, you know, who, point one, who are you? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And point two, like, you know, like, Somebody said to me, and he kept saying it to me, he's now a very good friend of mine, but obviously he, he was a, at the time he was a counsellor in, in rehab. He had the same upbringing, same background as me. We actually met unbeknown to be either of us in a sporting environment and um, ex-alcoholic, uh, recovering alcoholic. 
um, now a, a, a counsellor and therapist. And um, he kept saying to me, when you I hated him, absolutely hated him. And he kept saying to me, when you're going to let go? And I was like, I'm working because that's what I do. I'm driven. You know, anything I do, I'm driven. I'm working so hard at this. I need this. I want this. I, you know, I want this to work. And all he kept saying to me is, when you're going to let go, like, you know, and I just couldn't get him. I didn't understand what he was on about, like, and it was, it was you know, now I, I get it completely, you know, letting go of all of the stuff that was hidden inside, letting go, you know, like, I was running around as an adult, but my whole adult life was as a, as a, as a young child, you know. I was, a, I was a child in an adult's body, for sure, and very confused, um, couldn't make any connection. I think my last partner before I came to Ireland took me to the airport for the very last time and um, she knew that it was like completely and done and dusted and you know I was now I was never coming back like um, I don't know what she knew I'm presuming but um, so yeah she was in tears and um, and I had no emotion whatsoever nothing just like a blank page like you know um, there was nothing there you know I wasn't suppressing at that point I wasn't suppressing any feelings or any emotions or anything. There was just nothing there. Um, I sort of relented to, you know, what I'd known for a long time was that I didn't feel. Um, now I realise, obviously, that that's all suppression. As it's all came come out, and now I'm connecting with people, now I understand what that's all about, you know, and I'm working really hard on on those 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 things you know because it's learned behavior yeah you know it's it's not something that you can just click your fingers and say right now john's going to be this i used to do that but it was all bullshit like, you know but so those connections and that are coming back um like i don't think they've ever been there really so that's amazing just by talking and actually being the real mccoy uh, the real person that I've never been before. I don't judge myself or blame myself for that in any way, shape or form. I used to. I used to have an awful lot of regrets. Regrets about my kids because they, they had a tough time with me. Um, regrets about life in general, but now I don't. I understand it a little bit. And yeah, though, so like what I was never connecting to before for whatever reason is now starting to change, which is lovely. Well, I think when, we, when we're putting on a persona for so long, we actually don't know who we are, do we? We yeah. have no idea. And so many, so many kids start out that way because they might feel they have to be a certain person in order to be accepted, that they become the person that everyone wants them to be. And they just have no idea who they are. And you can go through your whole adult life still feeling that way, never actually knowing who am I, you know, and actually that's that can be life-changing when you actually do stop and figure that out and become your real self. And that's just yeah. so amazing and, and liberating. And I'm assuming that you probably had quite a lot of depression through those years. I mean, that's the, that's the thing of not feeling, isn't it? It's numbness. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, depression for me was like I had I went through everything emotionally, internally for in terms of my myself, those connections that I've just talked about, but but myself, like being going through depression, going through panic attacks, going through anxiety, crippling anxiety and depression. Like I said, like obviously the booze and that was my solution, not my, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the cause. It was the, it was the solution to the, all the problems that I had, like, you know, but obviously it does take its toll as well and create more depression and more anxiety and what have you like, you know, but so, you know, I, I you know, my depression was that feeling, that resolute resolution that I was no good, um, that I was, wasn't worth anything. I'd failed at absolutely everything, you know, um, I said to somebody once when I failed at football it was like a, it was like my whole world fell like one part of me said thank god for that and another part of me said well that's me done I can never really be successful I'll have a go you know I can remember thinking that as a young young adult like you know I'll have a go like, but I ain't never gonna be I ain't never gonna amount to much but yeah obviously then that as you progress through life that gets even worse when things do start to you know go wrong for you a lot of it brought on by myself and i realized that um 
but a lot of it was was a lot of stuff going on for me that I just never ever dealt with. I never felt I could, and then some stuff I didn't even know. You know, there's some stuff that I've dealt with now that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. So yeah, very depressed. Obviously, I can remember saying to people like, you know, I tried to take my own life a, a few times, and I can remember the feeling that I had like. Um, and the way I explained it to somebody was like, it was like I walked out into the middle of a lake or the middle and, and I went right up to my nose, but I knew that I didn't want to go under, but also I couldn't bear going back, you know, so I was stuck, you know, like I didn't want to go back for the judgment and for the shame and for the, like, you know, all of that. And, and, but I didn't want to go under, but, you know, and I just, it was just, it's just that horrible feeling of being completely like, you know, not knowing where to turn really. I suppose the other thing is like I speak to some lads now and they resonate with me when I say that outwardly I was giving off the message of like I can do that I can, I'm fine I'll get on with it I'm, I'm all right I'll be okay and um, I would actually physically say that to people like you know say John are you okay and they'd be like yeah I'm okay I'm fine I'm struggling a bit but I'll be all right, I can do this, I'll sort this out, you know, and inside I'm actually screaming out, like, help me, I'm, I'm, I'm in big trouble, you know, but I couldn't actually get the words out of my mouth to say, like, I need help and I'm really struggling, um, and it's amazing, isn't it, because I've just said that now with no problem whatsoever, and, it, you know, you could say it a million times, you know, um, but to say it first, initially, it's almost impossible, it feels like it's impossible, so, yeah, I really struggled, really struggled, but I would never, never let, even myself internally talking to myself all the time saying, you can do this, you know, I can remember having conversations with myself when I'd like drunk two or three bottles of vodka and still having that conversation, like, you know, like, it's not a problem, you can sort this out, you can do this, don't need anybody else, don't need to tell anybody else, even though the whole world knows that you're falling, falling about drunk you can do this, you know, yeah. Di dialogue with myself, like saying, oh, I'm in big trouble here. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I feel like I can feel my stomach just so tight speaking to you. Um, when you wake up in the morning and you're an alcoholic, what do you, what, what do you think? What, what are your first thoughts in the morning when you wake up? Are you just thinking, uh, when am I going to have my first drink? Is that pretty much? Yeah. 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 Where, where can I get something to put me right to try and convince the world that I'm okay again? You know, I used to get up all the time because um, I was functioning for a long time as well, you know, so get up and go to work. Um, but my first thought, do you know, it's funny. I was, I was working in the city in London and um, I used to get up super early to go to work um i didn't need to be into work until a certain time i used to get up miles before and go to where i knew i could get a drink and then give myself enough time to be able to sort my head out before i got to work and started work out you know I mean, it's insanity but it was my first thought you know um yeah. and my whole life then started to revolve around when i'm going when when i'm gonna get a drink you yeah. know yeah yeah so what was the turning point then to changing your life? Were there lots of times where you tried to stop and like you said, you went to rehab a few times and obviously it wasn't working. What actually changed in the end? Um, there was a, there was a, there, I knew that I needed to, um, there was a few things that started to happen, obviously. I'd come to Ireland and I was like back in the family home rather than um, didn't belong, didn't feel, I never felt like I belonged anywhere, I never felt like anywhere was my home, but I was over here and, you know, back with my dad and um, I was still doing the same stuff, still pretending, yeah, I'm going to get myself, I think, I think by that point I was healing. And I was trying to, you know, I was still drinking, still drugging, but I was thinking about what I wonder, you know, and I was starting to think differently. My, my relationships with my children was been massively fractured and broken, and I'd done some really crazy stuff, like you know, and hurt them. My um, 
my daughter hadn't spoken to me for four years and we had reconnected and I felt myself going through the same patterns of like um, promising her that I could do, you know, that I was, you know, that I was going to get better and that I was going to stop drinking and all of that and still drinking, going back to the UK and putting the drink off for a weekend. And I remember one weekend in particular, um, I um, had had a drink for the whole weekend and, um, and, and I was really confident. My daughter was saying, you can do this, mate, you know, and, um, you know, um, I'm behind you, you know, but if, if you start lying to me again and stuff like that, that's it, we're done. And I remember getting on the train to go back, to come back to the airport, to come back to Ireland and thinking, oh, I'll just have a drink, you know. And um, before I knew it, I was laying the middle of the, um, got off the train, an hour's train journey. It took me about five hours. Um, and I got to the, the, I couldn't even get out of the train station to get to the airport. So I missed my flight. Obviously, everybody then knew. And I thought, I'm just, I'm going the same way. I think that was the turning point for me was like, you know, I sort of, I was still drinking when I got back. But I knew that I needed, like, I wanted my daughter in my life. I wanted my kids in my life. I, I needed to do something. And I, I literally, like, I had a, I was still drinking and I, I had a, um, another episode and um, I'd already been seeing addiction counsellors and stuff. I just walked into the office, got got a doctor's appointment, got a because um, I'd cancelled all my appointments with a, an addiction counsellor, and a, I just remember walking into her office and saying, like, get me into, get me into rehab, like you know, everything that I've been talking to you about for the last year has all been a pack of lies. Um, I don't think I've ever come into your office and told the truth. Um, you know, and, you know, all the stuff that's going on, um, you know, with my with my children, with, with my daughter in particular, like, um, you know, is a lie. The, the, the relationship's still fractured and that. So, yeah, I, I think that moment when I went into the office and actually admitted that, you know, that we'd spent 12 months and I did that a lot. I'd go into lots of counselling sessions and stuff and just life, you know, just sit there and just go through the motions, you know. So that was the first time in my life where I'd actually sat down to somebody and said, look, you know, I've been lying all the time. I really do need help. Like, you know, I need, you know, get me into rehab, you know. And to be honest with you, when I went into rehab, I was ready. I really was ready because I went in with my hands up. And um, I knew that if I, I, I can remember having cold sweats, like thinking, and it wasn't just like, obviously, the detox and that. It was, it was literally like thinking, if I go out of them doors, when this is finished and I haven't and I don't get it and I don't feel differently to what I feel at the moment, I'm done. You know, I'm absolutely done. I know for a fact that if I walk out that door at the end of this, I'm done. So a massive turning point for me, huge. Yeah, um, it's just, you just get to a point of complete desperation, I guess. Like you just can't go on any longer you just know you can't do it anymore no so did that therapist help you yeah we we get on really well now she's you know obviously she's good so she knew i was lying constantly for a whole 12 months um, <laughs> i mean obviously we 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 still pass um she's actually helped me one or two um, to get back into it, you know, to obviously to do the stuff that I do now and to get back into education and all of those things, like, you know, they sort of set me off on the, on the road to that. So, yeah, you know, and obviously one or two of the counsellors that I had in rehab, rehab is, is, was, and it is initially for, for four weeks, um, but it's a two year aftercare programme. So I did the whole, I never missed it. You know, I worked really hard. I never missed a week. I never missed one session for the whole two years I was there. And I think that's, it, it does take a level of, and I was lucky, I am lucky in the fact that the stuff that I got brought up with was like, you know, the the drive and that to do the, the, the sport at a young age. And I still have all of that drive and that. I was using it as a negative rather than a positive. And I've suddenly turned that around and I use it as a lot. I use it as a positive now. My addictive behaviours I use as a positive. So, yeah, that was like, for me was like it was really important i could hear other people saying to me 
I might do a year and then I'll be all right. You know, and I was adamant that I was going to do the whole two years. And then if I could, I was going to carry on going back as, a, as some sort of mentor or whatever, you know. So I, I did that. I worked really hard with it. You know, and I still am. I work every single day. I say, say to everybody, like, you know, I get up, got up this morning and I started again, you know. Um, so. And so what do you believe about yourself now that you didn't believe before you started in therapy? Things can change. Um, people can change. Um, I'm worth something. Um, all the things that I told myself, you know, I didn't need anybody to tell me. I told it all myself, like, you know, all the negative stuff, like, you know, you, 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 you're a failure, you're worthless, you're, you can't achieve, you're, you know, you're not clever, you, all of those things. And I've turned it all on its head, like, you know, and um, I believe in myself. I know that I'm worth something. I know I'm talented. I know that I can utilise a lot of the tools that I've always had within me, um, but I've always used them as a negative rather than a positive. You know, I know that I'm clever. I'm not, you know, I thought I was stupid. I went back to college and, you know, I proved that one, that I blew that one out of the water, you know. So all of these things, like, you know, that we, we tell ourselves when we're going through all of this. But the main one for me is like, you know, my self-worth as a person. And I know that everything starts with me, every relationship, my relationship with my children, all of those things. Like, you know, if John's not right, nothing else would be right. So, but my self-worth and, you know, my my belief, I couldn't get any lower. I couldn't, like, you know, and I always thought that that pit that I was in, I was never going to get out of. And I did. It's not easy. But yeah, so definitely I'm a decent person and I'm worth something, you know, um, I'm worth looking after, you know, so yeah. it's work in progress for me. I say that all the time, like, you know, um, even though I'm doing a lot of the work that I, I'm doing and, and all of that, you know, I'm not never going to be the finished article and it's all work in progress. I work really hard at my recovery and I work really hard on myself as a person. Um, and I think I'm always going to do that now. And just that lovely feeling that you've thought I've never had before. I've never had this feeling inside because I've never, you know, that feeling inside where you think, you know, it's almost like a real peace, a lovely peace that you have, like that I was always craving. And I didn't realise that it was nothing about somebody else or something else or, a, you know, a sit, you know, a, a place or a, a thing or a person. It was all about me. I could get that peace for myself. Like, and that's a lovely feeling. I still have really crappy days as well. Of course I do. Yeah, so that's that's nice to feel like that because I've never had it, not not even as a child, I don't think. Yeah, absolutely, and I love everything you just said because that is, that's the key to all of it, isn't it, is having self-love, self-worth, understanding that you draw your strength from within and what's happening around you, you have to figure out how to deal with that but by not, taking it all on that's the key is just being you and finding your own strength and and what do you do in terms of keep that up are there any sort of practices that you use or i um i did a little video a few a few weeks ago about what i do in terms of um i was in a 12-step program so i take a lot from that but also i have some some views on that which i'm not going to go into now but but there's some lovely parts of of that you know I, I i do a gratitude list in the, in the morning i have some routines some nice routines it takes time out for myself i work hard a big one for me is like i understand that i'm not perfect and i don't need to be i work on when feelings come up feelings and emotions for me when they come up i work i work around it i sit with it i don't bury it i, I work on positivity but i'm i'm not you know i know that there has to be negative because how are we going to grow? How are we going to progress otherwise, you know? So all of those things, you know, obviously I have to be careful because a lot of the work that I do, like helping people and, you know, I do some coaching with kids that are coming out of rehab and stuff like that and be careful. I'm also very mindful of that. I'm not still going into something for the wrong reason. So understanding why I'm doing things as opposed to, you know, so as I'm not creating another escape route. You know, like a lot of people say, like, you know, when they start, they get into recovery and stuff and they want to help everybody and they want to do, you know, and it's almost another escape. 
um, from themselves, like, you know, so I'm very aware of that, you know, so I do a lot of work on myself because I realise that if I don't do the work on myself, then I ain't going to be no good to anybody else. I let go. I realise that I'm not in control. And I say that in the nicest possible way. It's not the fact that I'm not in control of my life now because I am, but I'm not in control of situations, places and things. I'm only in control of what's going on for me at this particular moment in time, you know, so I'm very conscious of that. I use what my sensitivity that I've always had and always thought that was, you know, crippling me and going to, you know, eventually see me off. I feel like that's a superpower for me now. I think I need to, I need to voice that as much as I can to, um, you know, to, to anybody who wants to listen, you know, especially young kids. I'm lucky, I'm fortunate that I do sporting coaching and stuff. And then obviously that allows me to do other sorts of coaching with kids and, and young adults and stuff. And you know, so I'm very, yes, be angry because I was angry as a child and that, like, you know, but, you know, like, to, just explaining that that sensitivity is okay. It's okay to be that. It's more than okay to be that. It's wonderful. It's brilliant to be that as well. You know? Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think it definitely is a superpower when you figure out how to use it well. And so now you're doing coaching and you've got a mental health charity clothing brand. Tell us about what you're doing. Okay. Um, I started off doing an Instagram page online um, and it was just really just, you know, revolved around um, because I thought it, it was mine, um, sporting background, um, I was fully qualified football coach, but I thought, how can I introduce that into, you know, mental health? Um, there's a lot of problems that surround that environment and, and that profession. So I started off by doing that then, and I still have that page, Team Sherudo page, which is, you know, sort of football, football and mental health and how you incorporate, how we incorporate the two, you know, so I work a lot on coaching mentally but emotions and feelings which is slightly different to what anybody else would do you know and that sensitive stuff and then that progressed into into other areas so then we set up i've got a, um, a partner co-founder of whatsup.org and we just literally just set that up over the last six months and everything that we basically we have a brand we talk about mental health we have conversation you know it's it's just about opening up those conversations to have and to like I mentioned, you know, with all my feelings and, you know, that it's okay to talk about all of those things. And if I can, as being a hard-nosed sports person or whatever, be very sensitive and, and have a lot of those things going on for me, then everybody else can talk about it too. So we, we started doing that. And the clothing, everything that we sell, 100% of the profit goes to any given charity. So at the moment we're doing, there's a couple of charities, there's a couple of fundraisers that we do over there. So we sell clothing to foot raise funds for a charity uh, in America. And um, we also do in Ireland, there's a charity called Pieta House, which is a suicide um, and self-harm awareness charity. So proceeds to, from the clothing for the, the hats, those ones there, that all goes to, um, to that charity. So that's the reason for, you know, the reason for setting up is the whole conversation that, that goes around mental health issue and yeah so we're we're in early stages with that one yes yeah, it's, it's it's part of my healing i suppose and um part of my journey but you know that's the reason for that's the reason for doing it yeah i will put all the links to your instagram and everything in the show notes so that people can find it but um i love that because purpose is so important isn't it when you're recovering from an addiction to have a purpose to move forward with and I, I'm sure that's where a lot of people probably fall down because there's, they, they haven't got that purpose in their life so yeah I think it's amazing what you're doing there. Jonathan it's been uh, heart-wrenching hearing your story because it's just years and years and years of struggle um, but you obviously had this inner strength that's allowed you to pull through and I'm so happy to see that you're on the other side of it and and life is on the up now and it's got a purpose and and you shared some amazing things today so thank you so much thank you thank you for having me thank you so much for being here 
Please check the show notes for all the links related to this podcast, including book recommendations. If you have a story to share, questions about this episode, or want to connect in any way, I would love to chat. Please come and find me on Instagram at My Big Love Project, and please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Can you think of one person whose life might change a tiny bit in a positive way by hearing this episode? Please go ahead and share it with someone you know needs to hear it. These stories are so important. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week.